0: I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. True Crime Uncensored, produced by Magic Matt Allen. I am the legendary Burl Bear. Howard Lucas is not here today, and he won't be here tomorrow either. Unfortunately, he has passed away. We'll have some interesting little-known stories about Howard Lapidus coming up on this show and on Magic Matt Allen's The Deepens of Decadence, live About our radio. Mark C.G. Boyer, our fact checker. Hello. Yeah, that's Mark. Bundle of energy as usual. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Gee, Boy. Yeah, that's guys. great. Remember that dog? The, uh, the cartoons, the droopy, whatever the dog. Oh, yeah. He's that's, always so, so Or he's Eeyore from... Uh, oh, yeah, the, uh, the Woody the Pooh. Yes. <laughs> A more positive thinking on behalf of that cartoon character his ears wouldn't be so long. <laughs> <laughs> that's my theory. Travis Webb. Ten years ago, Travis Webb was on the show Travis. Yeah. Yep. And a strange thing happened to Travis. One of our then regulars, daughter decided to no, make, not Kippa decided to make Travis's life miserable. Oh, well, wait—he's done that to most of us on the show. Uh, yes, and so Travis, you pick it up from there.
1: Oh, wow. Uh, that was nice. but yeah. So uh, I came on your show. I was down in Hollywood. It was uh, the beginning of the best. Part of my career as a writer, so I was down there, uh, you know, going to studios, doing the, the meetings with everybody, eating three or four lunches a day, five dinners, <laughs> and uh, and I came in to do your show with you guys. And at the time, I was just cycling out of being a major rave promoter and trying to move on my career into writing, and. Uh, yeah, so Kip uh, immediately
0: did not like me. <laughs> well, uh, I wonder what about you that Kip took an immediate dislike to. He he sort of he sort of takes an immediate dislike to most people. Yes, and vice versa. So,
1: so you know, I was I was sitting there at that table, and that guy was just glaring for a while, yeah. and he finally started to pick up. I don't remember what he was saying, but he took some good punches at me, and uh, actually Howard stepped in initially and said something. And then a ways into the show, I think after the show, it was right after uh, True Crime ended, and we moved on to Mike's, back to Outlaw Radio, Mike Allen all those guys, and uh, Howard grabbed Kip and me and walked us out of the bungalow thing and uh, kind of put Kip in his place. <laughs>
0: he, did, he, didn't <laughs> beat a, he challenged him to a duel once. But I... <laughs> yeah, it was intense. Yeah, it was intense. Yeah, Howard got real mad at Kip over that of him being mean to you. And so, how did? What is that? My my cat just ran off with my phone. Oh well, tell the cat to bring it back. <laughs> yeah, I'm
1: about to I'm about to put him in his box. Whenever I go on the phone, he decides that now's the time to attack me.
0: Oh well, good. Uh, and but, well, he should. so, Kip Adara was attacking you. Howard Lapidus comes to your defense, and then he gets you alone now. And what does Howard tell you? What does he ask you to do?
1: Oh, man, you're asking a lot for me to remember. I was just remembering what he said to Kip.
0: Oh, what did he say to Kip? That's not your place. (laughs) (laughs) He said that to him? Yeah, well, Kip basically
1: said, Howard, you know what's going to happen to this kid. Hollywood's just going to come and him. He's a babe lost in the woods. I remember those words exactly. Babe lost in the woods. And Howard said, that's not your place to tell him. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Howard was right. Was, was it Howard's place to tell you? Yeah. Howard changed the woods. <laughs> and uh,
1: I talked to Howard afterwards. But so, you know, since I talked to you a little while ago, and I cannot remember what Howard told me, but he ended up adding me to Facebook, and we did. it, it helped me a few more times down with Hollywood issues after that, actually.
0: Well, I do remember he asked you to go to somebody's office, an agent or something, and said it was very important for you to mention, to say Howard Lapidus' name in a certain phraseology or something.
1: Yeah, he did do that. And actually, I got to be really careful about that particular thing because it led to a series of NDAs. NDAs. Nondisclosure yeah, uh, non disclosure agreements.
0: Well, we don't have to talk about what you don't have to disclose. We don't well, even have no, to no, mention no. that okay. guy's name. Who
1: he sent me to is even too much to say at this point. But. Uh, don't. But uh, Go I didn't get a lot what of work because of Howard and that, that little, that moment.
0: So you that's dropped Howard's Howard. name and it burned right through the floor. <laughs> so well, happy? No,
1: right through the floor. Actually, it might have made Kip a little more, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, that's, uh, that's how I ended up getting some of uh, the ghost writing gigs I've had over the years.
0: Yeah, ghost writing is a weird thing. man. It's very strange.
1: You, you get cash up front, you have to learn how to write like another person enough but still make stuff better than they were making it. And it, it, it's kind of challenging and then you can't tell anyone what you've done. Your agent or your manager might know and they can kind of tell people behind the scenes, but other than that, you, you know, you'll never get credit for what you did and you have to be careful because there's WGA concern and it gets a little weird.
0: Yeah, this, uh, occasionally the ghostwriter will get uh, thanked for uh, something, you know, uh, for initial, re- uh, thank for the research work or positive support. And uh,
1: characters get named after you yeah, that happened, yeah. Uh,
0: I've done a few of those. Uh, one very important one, big one, hardback, well referenced. And uh, the only reference I made to myself being involved is that I helped the author, uh, with some of his uh, initial research on the topic. And I was proud to have been it contributed in any way to this wonderful book, which actually I wrote. <laughs> yeah. Of course, you, know, you get to charge more money for uh, a ghost-written book because it takes your name off the marketplace for a while.
1: It, it does, and you get cash up front most of the time.
0: Yeah, you get paid.
1: Yeah, even if the book bombs or the script. Or yeah, I mean, it's
0: just a, a job for hire. You know, like, yeah. You know. Yeah, that's all them, huh? <laughs> I did that uh,
1: for almost ten years now. Wow.
0: Yeah, I think you were on the show the first time with uh, it was either Greg Olson or uh, his his buddy. What's his name? Uh, Matt uh, LeBlanc. No, <laughs> jeez. Oh, can't tell by my my, I'm I'm offending him because I can't think of his name. It was say it was Valentine's Day, I believe. It was
1: something like that, and we had the the basis from the knack. Oh yeah, yeah. Who, who was really cool? I ended up having a really great conversation with him. Yeah. Uh, shadow Stevens showed up, which was awesome. Being you know growing up in sh- the era of Shadow Stevens.
0: The shadow <laughs> On of the, your
1: Hollywood's Yeah. Is he in
0: there now? No, 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 he's not. He was, he oh, good. Order. I was he's like, is he ready.
1: gonna like make fun of me right? Now?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Take a pop shot. Yeah. And then uh, a comedian who was really funny was the other guy. Now, it wasn't Kip, though, was it? No, no, Kip <laughs> was not funny. <laughs> He, he can be. He can be very funny. But uh, what was the. Yeah, I could think of St. Valentine's Day uh, about 10 years ago, who was on the show The Comedian. I can't recall. But. Uh, what is that? That's the cat? No, that's uh You getting really quiet all of a sudden. I'm getting really quiet? Yeah. Uh, I yeah. probably too far away from the microphone. Uh, Who's all in the studio right now? Um, uh, Mark C.G. Boyer. Hello. That's my Hello? fact checker, uh, myself. Of course, Howard isn't here because he passed away. Uh, he could be is, there. You know, he's here in spirit, community. <laughs> uh, he's eating, if you hear the sound of crunching of potato chips, Howard, that's the that's the message of Howard's presence. It's interesting is that uh, this week prior to his passing, uh, I had been down in the valley from Santa Clarita uh, by his office, and I headed back up. Home. Oh, I just got home when he called me on the phone and said, "Hey, uh, let's have lunch." And I said, "Okay." This time you get to drive up here to Santa Clarita because I've already been down there by your office once today. He said, "I thought he'd say no." He said, "Okay, great." Jumped in the car, drove up to Santa Clarita, and we went to uh, uh, what was that? The Woodman's uh, Barbecue. Wood. Uh, uh, Wood Ranch. Yeah, Wood Ranch Barbecue. No where it is? And we had the most enjoyable time. And he seemed about fifteen years younger, and more energetic, which they say sometimes happens to people just before. You know, uh, he was a bundle of energy and positive vibes and things. He was going to be clearing up this week so that he could get back into the you know daily grind of destroying my career. And uh, you have you actually have one? I, well, I do have a career, and it's uh, getting nice. even more careersome or cumbersome. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and uh, so, I mean, we were all very shocked about, uh, you know, but the thing is, there's nothing I can do about it. That's a great feeling of helplessness. You can't go, let's rewind, you know, let's rewind the day. Let's go back. Yeah. Let's change this part. And it doesn't work that way.
2: No, what, uh, you know, you don't have any any idea what the change you would make. What the effects will be? Right, it's how but- it will ripple. Yeah, elsewhere. it's like the
0: butterfly effect movie. They had, they had no idea it was going to cause three sequels. Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> Martin Landau. Travis liked that though. Yeah.
2: I knew Travis Landau would like that joke. Did a fabulous, yeah. tw- um, uh, not Twilight Zone, Outer Limits.
0: Ah. Where he is uh, sent back the into
2: the uh, into the past to eliminate a person. Who starts a eugenics war and turns the earth into hell. Oh, and of course by stopping that... Yeah, he manages to convince the woman who would be this person's mother not to get married. And on the trip back, he changes his future and vanishes because he doesn't exist.
0: Oh, well, uh, my favorite one, though, is the, the one where the guy's his own parents.
2: Well,
0: that was no, the one. I wasn't Marty McFly. Was no, that's not Marty McFly. <laughs> that was a different movie. That's a different movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's uh, the one with the all dog cast, Bark to the Future. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, you know. Uh, I got a piece I'll of bark chicken here. Which now well. is another
0: one. Uh, what well, I never can remember the name of the film, but it's based on a story by Robert Heinlein. It's a closed loop time travel story. Predestination, that's the name of the movie Predestination Rent it Watch it, it's very clever Very clever It's not easy being your own parents Having to say curfews on yourself Yeah So anyway, so uh, Travis Webb comes down here uh, Howard Lapidus gives him a career Sends him to some movie set With bizarre instructions What was that all about? I just told you I can't talk about it That's one of the things you can't talk about
1: that leads to a bunch of events that I can't talk about. Oh, okay. uh, Which is, you know, people... I ended up making some friends through Howard uh, from that talk because they thought, oh, this guy knows Howard. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and They uh, yeah, must be okay. Uh, they started sending me screenplays periodically. Can you look at this? And that's where that went.
0: What a big screenplay critiquer.
2: Um, uh, Carrie Fisher. Uh, yeah. Enough, she became uh, one of the industry's top... Uh, fixers. And almost never credited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Script they doctors. talk about her a lot when you're down there. Yeah, script doctors.
0: That's a weird sound.
2: And uh yeah, that's how we throwing a cat. Yeah, she did she did very well financially uh, fixing other people's bad scripts.
0: I didn't I would fix other people's bad scripts and say thank you, here's a bagel <laughs> Well, was it an everything bagel? No. Nah. Mm. Or just a water bagel? It wasn't even that.
2: Oh, it was one of the little tiny bagels?
0: Yeah. Well, for what I, It could have been... I figured have found a way of paying me less for saving them a fortune.
2: <laughs> yeah, they always kind of
1: play that. Like, like, oh, this is all the money we can give you on this, you know, $80 million film. Hmm. You know? And you're like, okay, well, you fixed it. Uh, so, thanks. thanks for the couple bucks.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, all I can give you is one-third of the repaired script. No way. So that's yes. all I can give you. I could
0: give you every other word. <laughs> <laughs> you can
2: figure it out. Or it could be the Bible. It's every 13th word.
0: Yeah. Every 13th word? Tell me that. Explain it.
2: Um, in the traditional Hebrew text of the, uh, uh, the Torah,
0: in the, in the traditional what of the Torah? Uh, the, the text of the, oh, the Torah. Or the text of the Torah. In the traditional text of the Torah...
2: If you look, if you take every 13th word...
0: If you take every 13th word...
2: You get an entirely new book.
0: You get an entirely new book, but, but it doesn't is, make any sense. But it does make sense. Well, it does.
2: Yes, there's entire studies of the Talmud uh, and, and wordology and numerology involved in the text.
0: Amazing, absolutely amazing. Yes, and... And the people mm-hmm. who
2: are obsessed with it are...
0: Nuts. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, that can happen. You just get totally into something, you go too far. <clears throat> makes you crazy. Oh, well, that's how that,
1: you spend $100 million telling everybody the world's going to end in May in 2011.
0: Yeah. That's, that's not a good idea. It's not a wise investment. It's like uh, Reverend okay. Miller in 1843. He had all those people go to Mount Carmel in Pennsylvania. He couldn't make it to the other one. Put on their ascension robes and waited to be wafted to heaven, when Christ returned, and when nothing happened, he became very depressed, and people tried to cheer him up, saying, "Oh, don't be so sad. It's not the end of the world." They, oh, it's been Oh, uh, But that's where you get the uh, the spin-offs of uh, the Millerites, and you have Seventh Day Adventists and the Jehovah's Witnesses, and uh, the one I really liked—the group that spun off with was called the Perfectionists, and. They believed that since the world had ended, they just couldn't see it, it was a new age, that now everything was legal, and uh, you could do anything you wanted, and they opened a chain of horror houses all across America. They were very successful. Excellent. Yep, so that worked. <laughs> That's perfect. Was one, of the, was one of them little and in Texas? <laughs> yeah. One of them. Oh, snap. Uh, the best one. It was the best one, yeah. yeah, well, yeah. Absolutely, positively. So, Charles Derning liked it. After you uh, become a ghostwriter and a screenplay doctor... All thanks to Howard Lapidus. You then embarked on what bizarre thing? I have, there's a, a, a documentary on YouTube, and I also put it on the True Crime on Such a website page that, uh, where you say, whether you're going to stay a rave promoter or not. And you say uh, something about, you're, you will always be there to protect the kids so they don't. Oh, get.
1: gosh. Yeah, watching that video. Okay, so I was already a rave promoter. That was actually while I was on the show. Because we were talking about me leaving, being a, leaving, being a rave promoter and moving into being a writer
0: mm-hmm.
1: after you know
0: after the raving, yeah. You were and the that Bill was Graham the... of electronica. What? You're the Bill Graham of the
1: Bill Graham of electronica. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Um Yeah, so in 2006, uh, a guy came out, and there was—he wasn't the only one. There was actually a couple of guys that did it, but that was—I think—that was the only guy who got his, his video done, but he started coming to every rave he could get, it, get into and interviewing people for his documentary on rave culture in Seattle. And so, uh, yeah, so he made that video, and that was shortly after the Capitol Hill Massacre, which is the name of the event, which I don't like the name of, but I guess it pretty much says what it is. And uh, hang on one second, guys. I'm going to get my cat under control.
0: Yeah, here's the new speaker. Meow. Yeah, stop. I'm going to put you in your box if so you don't calm down.
2: <laughs>
0: the cat meds. He is just amped
1: right now. Like, he's been quiet all day, and now that I'm on the air, wow. Fight
2: the crap. Ow, ow. Anyway.
1: <clears throat> You're so, not
2: paying attention to me. <laughs> That's exactly what it's like. We I can stand on AMB's, the phone, so I'm biting you, you as hard as
1: I can in the shoe. Anyway. <laughs> 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 uh, so yeah, uh so at that time uh me and other promoters were all interviewed and of of the ravey Rave promoters, I was I was doing really well. Probably better than I remember. Um and so I'm in that video uh and that got released I think and toured in, in two thousand ten and I didn't think I'd ever hear or see it again. And the director hit me up a couple weeks ago, he says, Hey man, I have got the, the video done and um you know, I'm going to release it on YouTube, and I was hoping you'd help promote it because what I'd like to do is re-interview all you guys, maybe have you help me, and kind of look back at what you guys said 10 years ago. Mm. So I think that's what's going to happen with that YouTube channel is that director's going to start interviewing us and looking at how things evolved and what they are now, which is more like festivals. You know, raves as we knew it then, they just kind
0: of became... Kind of like became, it, it, hidden, huh? hidden in some empty warehouse, totally illegal or something.
1: Yeah, it moved into like giant festivals like Coachella and stuff, you know, and uh none of the ravey rave guy there's a guy down in LA that's kind of uh keeping that, that, that spirit alive, which is uh flapjack. I just read an article about him. I remember him coming up back in the towards the end of my career. Um, but like that that version of rave's gone and I'm okay with it. Like I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, you know, that was your guys' moment, we can't bring that back. Like these are different kids. They're not you guys. They're not they don't have the same energy you guys had. They have their own thing now, you yeah, know. Yeah, and we can't go back and say, "No, this is how you do it." You know, they do it the way of it they like do it. disco. Yeah. You know, we we had a really fun run. We had a really good time, but we all really look ridiculous in those pants.
0: Yeah. Same thing. And the shoes, They have high heeled shoes with them. The big big giant shoes. Yeah. Oh god, giant shoes. And I kept falling over on them. You know, I just couldn't <laughs> walk into heels. That's right, bro. You were a disco king, sir. Hey. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> damn right. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the poster. Yeah, I got the posters on the wall in my little studio <laughs> office. There's Burl Bears cooking at Emma's Disco Tech. Yeah. It um, uh, features the, the photo of me. <laughs> it's just the headshot part. It was originally the photo. It was an entire body shot taken by Stephanie Eager. Took me by the radio station one day and said, "Gonna take a publicity photo of you. I'm gonna take it from the angle at which most women remember you best." And she got the down on her knees, in front oh of my god, and mm-hmm. took the picture, looking up. And that uh, boy, Ben, used, used that promo picture very successfully for years until I got my hair cut. I was no longer in my twenties, whatever thirties. Mm-hmm. I always so, look younger than my age. So, so for you, now. you
2: decide to leave the rave and want to become a writer. What uh, what made you think that you could be a writer?
1: Well, I wanted to be a writer before I did raves. Raves were an accident. <laughs> um, that's something a lot of people didn't know. Uh, I was only going to throw three raves because uh, this sounds so hypocritical, b- being what I just said. But uh, so I had been a raver all through high school and college. Oh my gosh. And um, when uh, 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 September 11th happened, the, immediately, the immediate after effect of that was nobody wanted to go to raves anymore, and literally nobody was happy in America. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the best way I can think of put it, yeah. right? So who wants to go to a rave when everybody's super depressed? And with that, uh, the music kind of transitioned away from more raving music To everybody being kind of uptight that we're going to raves, like they were like house. They only wanted to hear house music. They only wanted to hear you know trance. Uh, Even trance was kind of dead, which is all house. And everybody was complaining uh, about ravers at raves. So that that was always a little weird. So if you for a minute there, if you looked like a raver going to a rave, you got made fun of. And um, (laughs) how do you
0: counter that?
1: Well, yeah, exactly. And worse than then, so the raves start going down to where there's only like a couple hundred people instead of a couple thousand. And you have all these people going who didn't actually go to raves before then. So there's this thing where you get people that are in their late 30s or early 30s, they'll start going to raves and their impression of raves is other people like them that listen to really weird techno that they found online and they go to a rave and they expect it to look like The Matrix or some movie they saw where they're imitating what it is, but it isn't really what it is, and when they don't see that, they complain that the ravers are ruining rave. Mm. And that was always awkward. Uh, media does that to, to cultures. Yeah. You know, it's like when the news shows up and tells you, you know, that everybody at a rave is on drugs. Before they said that, not, big, not a huge drug problem. I mean, it was there, but it wasn't like, you know, like the media made it sound. Media would say that, and the next week, you'd have a couple hundred kids showing up looking for drugs, because they saw on the news that's where you go.
0: Yeah. Just, uh, what so, you know, Just what I, you need. Just what you need.
1: Right. And, and that's kind of what was happening after 2001 is that we had a lot of people who'd heard house music and would show up to a rave. And if there was anything other than really eclectic, crappy house bad compression, oh, God, they would be like, oh, I hate
0: this rave stuff.
1: And you're like, then why are you here?
0: Yeah. <laughs> so they could be miserable. So, there are people who get up every day looking forward to being offended. Right. Right. I found that so,
2: comment offensive. Bro. You, yes, you
0: would. He took offense to that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no. Anyway, so we uh, we went to um, we had an after party after show. Uh, it was a bunch of old rave crews. There used to be like little groups, like little rave gangs, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, with kind of themes to them. So you know, like mystery Men, you know the villains. Yeah. We had a little table together. You had the frat boys, the the you know, whatever. But, but I don't want to say all the names of the crews back then, but. And everybody was like, what do we do? And we all decided we were going to throw uh, raves. Somebody had to throw raves in a more rave style. Like, you know, really ravey, like cartoony, over the top, kind of a Wonka character going with it, and in making it about ravers and not about, you know, the headliner or about the whatever. So the idea is to build a brand that's known for throwing raves and not worry about who the headliners were. Mm. And uh, they were hoping that and every, all of our crew would wear candy, which is a traditional rave clothing, which it kind of happens because it looks cool in black light and there's been some misconceptions over that we don't have time to talk about. It. So our crew decided we were going to start throwing raves like crazy and um, uh, but I was only going to lead for three of them. So we threw three raves and they were all crazy successful in a time when nobody was having success. And then I just didn't stop. Hmm.
0: Well, I so went to a be- rave you produced. Remember I went with you where I went a rave you produced where there was a nice moderate crowd of 35,000 people? It
1: was 12. <laughs> 12,000.
0: Oh. So, yeah. It felt like 35 to me. And they were so affectionate.
1: <laughs> yeah, everybody was really affectionate. <laughs> and then you walked into the skating area and tripped on a skateboard.
0: Yeah, I did. <laughs> I mean, I didn't expect yeah. a skateboard and an entire skate <laughs> ramp thing. <laughs> well, and you know, over here you got... Uh, now I haven't quite figured out the difference between house and trance and... Uh, God knows what else. Acid. Break. And, uh, yeah. And it all sounded like... To me, it all sounded the same. Except for the... <laughs> which is, well, that was in my yeah. head. That wasn't on the speakers, so...
1: <laughs> yeah, I remember that we were with a little group and you walked out and we were walking over to where we had an indoor skate arena happening during the rave and a skateboard had got loose and you it just came right at you and you didn't see it coming, so you stepped down right on top of a moving skateboard. <laughs> that sounds like
0: feet.
1: me. you <laughs> <laughs> about eight feet on that board, completely confused, standing up and then fell over <laughs> we and just like, Oh gosh Wham
2: <laughs> Welcome to the
0: Rave <laughs> There's an anti-Semitic yeah. skateboard.
2: <laughs> the only thing I know about a rave is the Raven Samurai Jack episode. The Raven Samurai what? Well, Samurai Jack did an episode with a rave in it. That's the only thing. Oh I yeah, know they about do those.
1: have a Samurai Jack rave. Uh, and he's got a a Cat in the Hat hat, which is hilarious because that used to be a big thing. And uh, yeah. the Cat in the Hat
2: crew and stuff—they were
1: pretty legendary.
2: Yeah, so it was an interesting episode.
0: I really like the, the giant skateboard 35,000 really being 12,000 rave where everyone was so polite. And so it's like the, uh, clones of Chippendale, those chipmunks. You know, oh, you dance. Well, no, you dance. First, I insist. You know, there no, uh, they no fights, no, for for no violence. For no
2: apparent reason, they were British.
0: They were British. They all had British accents.
2: Yeah, I don't understand. No. Oh, 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 please. You
0: go You No, 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 you no, you no, 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 no. Very entertaining, Uh, and no, I say no one got hurt except for people on skateboards and people watching them. But it seemed as if the place seemed huge, and it was like uh, different rooms in a (laughs) warehouse, fantasy rooms. (laughs) You open the different doors, there's different fantasy going on in there. You open the door, oh hi, this is all. African trance artvark music and I <laughs> and they're oh, jumping up and down the girls are jumping up and down you know I, uh, giant plastic nipples in their mouths and I've never heard of artfark <laughs> Well, you before. you got to eat your ants and uh <laughs> then the other one was some other kind of electronic music where they have a different kind of pacifier in their face uh which makes sense to me uh and so and everyone was nice so I really enjoyed it and it was kind of like a real bizarre experience uh not quite well, uh, the same as when I dropped acid and went to the uh, Eagles Auditorium and saw Cream. They were Clapton, Ginger Baker, Jack Bruce. Wow, that was strong stuff. The same light show that was at the sh- at the performance was also on their album cover when I got home. Ooh, ooh.
2: I dropped acid once, but I was too tired to pick it up. Pick it up, yeah. dum bum,
0: drum, bum. Hey, Travis, did you see the movie Molly's Game? No, I didn't. Good movie. Go see that. It's not playing in a the theater. You have to read it. It's um, a true story. What does he have to do with poker? What does Travis have to do with poker? Though it had more to do with one of the federal charges uh, against the woman named Molly because all these gangsters kept saying, we got to get more, but we got to get Molly here. we got to have some Molly. How, when can Molly be here? And they weren't talking about her.
1: Oh, are they talking about when the Navy actually spent like a couple million dollars trying to figure out who Molly was? <laughs> Similar situation, but it wasn't. They a spent name. millions trying to figure out who Molly was,
0: and that was that a euphemism for something? Euphemism? It's,
2: it's
1: an alternate name for ecstasy, ah. which is
0: a, a street name for MDMA, which uh, and has been proven to be. An exceptional wonder drug in the treatment of PTSD. It's interesting, because I thought uh, Jerry uh, Lewis was
2: interested in
0: that stuff. No, that's, that's, uh, that's a different one. Yeah, yeah. so you have to brace yourself more than Jerry's kids on Labor Day weekend for this conversation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, Jerry's kids,
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I talked to a, last time I was in Seattle, I'm going to be in Seattle with Travis tonight, as a matter of fact. Last, the previous time I was in Seattle, I uh, wound up with a fellow staying at the same hotel as I, uh, had been in the Army experiments on using uh, MDMA or Molly or ecstasy as a treatment for uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. I said, well, how did that work? He says, it was like a miracle. He says, give me one dose, uh, fairly low dose of uh, MDMA. I had no symptoms of PTSD for six solid months. I said, what happened at the end of the six months? That's so why I, I asked if I could have another one. He said, no, <laughs> the study's over. Ah. Uh, and showbiz. Yeah, it's- that's a strange drug, man. Um, it's one of my favorites, all time favorites.
1: Yeah, it. We it, probably need to do more research with it, to be honest, because uh, it. it I, I don't. I don't want to say anything, but like it it, it. it seems to do good things for some people, and terrible things for others. Well, where
0: well, I think the terrible thing comes in, and I was told this because when I when I had it it was legal, so you don't think I'm being a criminal. Uh, my doctor said, "You this you'll like this here, <laughs> here take this." <laughs> Uh, every Friday for next you know month is that after the it's pharmacologically similar to a mix of amphetamines and mescaline although it's not exactly what it is but after you dump your endorphins with the mescaline equivalent all you got left is speed and you're not going to get the endorphin dump that you got first time around if you just keep doing it all you do is stay awake and get weird and I think that's what happens with some people
1: uh, I think that. I think uh, one of the other things is um, a lot of the older ravers I knew, you know, in our time, uh, I, I suspect this, it's, there's no research to it, and I could be a billion times off, and someone can correct me later, but uh, a lot of the people I knew that did a lot of ecstasy in the 90s and 2000s who are adults now don't ever have strong relationships uh, with other people, That's and I've crazy. always suspected that it's because the level of euphoria and embrace that you feel on that drug, it's not real. It's it's fairy tale level love. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because like, you're getting all the endorphin Disney.
0: you ever had is coming coming home to rooster once. <laughs> right, and you can't experience that
1: level of love and trust without that chemical in your body. It's just not going to happen. That's so what we said mean, about
0: Magic Matt Allen's radio program. When you listen oh to it, you know, they kind of <laughs> react like oh God, I could never be this close to a DJ again. We're going to take a 60-second break to check our uh, drug supply. We'll be right back with a special guest, Travis Webb, on True Crime Uncensored. If you want a drink, a barbecue rib, and a good cigar anytime you want it, get the Outlaw Radio app. It's on Apple and Android free. Just go to your app store and search for Outlaw Radio. Then look for the red highway sign with the bullet holes in it. Download and listen anytime, 24 hours a day. It's all free from the demons of decadence, Magic Matt Allen, and Outlaw Radio. Live. And now, back to True Crime Uncensored. Formerly hosted by Burl Bear and Don Waldman. But Don Waldman is dead. Yep. True Crime Unsplintered. Burl Bear and Howard Lapidus. Howard Lapidus is no longer with us. Yeah, I gotta get into the production room, I guess. Yeah, Uh, well, I'll tell you, starting in September, I do have, uh, you know, the show must go on. We'll go for number three. We'll see how long he lasts. That's Frank Gerardo Jr.? Well, oh, you can talk to me about that, Burl. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll discuss that possibility. Yes. Well, we've asked <laughs> Frank if he will do it. Yeah, We. you and I will, will truly that. have to discuss that. Okay. <laughs> he's very good at it. Anyway, so we will... Did you say he's so, very gay? What? Did you say he's very gay? Well, uh, Marvin gay.
2: <laughs> What's going on? I don't know
0: what you're talking
2: about. Uh, and you don't know
0: what I'm talking about. <laughs> In any event, the show goes on uh, and... Hey, Burl, should we buy any of your books? Can you buy any of my books? Uh, Travis, have you ever bought any of my books? No. Your books? You give them to me for free. No, because you keep giving them to me. Ah, well, (laughs) you're one of the few people, (laughs) one of the few, the proud. (laughs) I like that. I bought a bunch of your books. You're going to be getting checks in the mail. Where'd you buy them? At the garage sale? Oh, yeah, Mr. (laughs) and Mrs. (laughs) Garage always send me checks. Yeah, they always send me checks, Mr. Mr. Garage. Uh Okay, so where your career is, is? Howard got you uh, an agent? Howard got you this, got you on movie sets. Your career sails along beautifully. You're doing raves. Uh, you got this uh, idiot true crime writer, Burl Bear, who's uh, grilling you like a swordfish about your uncle, the murderer. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we did that That's book. Always oh, we did, came out at the same time. Two books with similar titles. Headshot which is the true story of Andrew Webb and, uh, what's his name, Uh, uh, St. Pierre, two psychopaths, two and a half psychopaths, and a head in a bucket. That was actually the working title of the book for for months and months and months. We didn't have a title for the book. And uh, my editor and I referred to it simply as Head in a Bucket because, uh, what's his name, Uh, Mr. St. Pierre, shoots uh, a fellow in the head for no apparent reason and then uh, buries him up in the mountains and then says, gee, if they ever find that body, they'll find the bullet in his head and they'll know I did it. So instead of throwing the gun away, (laughs) he would do something like that, he goes back up, digs up the body, cuts the head off and throws the head away, puts the head in a bucket of concrete and throws the uh, bucket into the uh, Puyallup River. Concrete is a great preservative of chopped off heads. And therefore, when they find the bucket with the head in it and they put it back on the body, it was like Rosie Greer, put it back on the body, Mm. they discover that... Ray uh, land. Yes. The man did not die from being shot in the head. The bullet went through one sheet, came out the other, and the impact broke his jaw. But if they would have just taken him to the hospital, he would have been fine. What happened was they got him up there in the mountains. They were all ready to bury him when he comes to from being knocked out. Well, gee, they don't want to change their mind, so they stabbed him 17 times and then buried him. Excellent. That uh, was not good thinking on their part.
2: Well, critical thinking is necessarily everyone's forte.
0: Now, Travis, uh, have you seen your, uh, your uncle since those days?
2: Oh, no, no. In fact, that got
1: brought up recently. Uh, I I, it has been explaining to me he's very unhappy with me.
0: Oh, boy, for the book?
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, what I replied back to when I was told to me, I'm like, look, man, you killed someone. The person you killed doesn't get a chance to tell their story, so deal with it. Yeah. You know, like, if you're going to kill someone, you're going to have to expect that people are going to be mad about that.
0: And I I don't think the book's that bad. No, it's not a bad book at all. I'll tell you what people get mad at. My cousin, when he was reading it, is what the judges get mad at is there was an incredible amount of prosecutorial misconduct and that's what I found fascinating about in writing the book is that the trials that took place in the wake of the, these two murders two and a half trials two and a half trials or at least three some like that plus uh appeals to the state supreme court is the insanity of the legal process of dealing with it was um, like a mirror image of the crimes itself. At one point where a judge stands up in the courtroom and screams, this is giving me excedrin headache number 843, and walks out and doesn't come back. Uh,
1: yeah, that prosecutor, he was trying to buck, wasn't he, to become, uh, to, to get promoted. And yeah. trying to use the case as a high-profile case, if I remember correctly.
0: Yeah, and then what happened was the defense attorney ran for the prosecutor's job and won. Well then, the case that he defended and started the appeal now he's the prosecutor
2: <laughs> uh, any conflict of interest
0: in uh him? yeah, it got a little strange he just had to have nothing to do with the case you know what's you know he had underlings uh fighting his own fighting against his own uh, client very very peculiar
2: yeah do either of you ever think of turning it into a screenplay in a movie
0: oh it'd be too confusing. <laughs> Although it is a fascinating story because you, uh, you had basically, what would we say, two and a half psychopaths? You had these guys with best friends who uh, were both nuts. And uh, Andrew, who did not have the world's best critical thinking abilities, his head was run over uh, by a car twice. says so his mother, he would crawl around and he crawled behind the, the back wheel of the- of the car, and the mom backs out of the driveway over his head, realized what she did, put it back in drive and drove back to the garage. Uh, I'll teach him. Yeah. Uh, and then he also has his head hidden to the curb, some other strange things, which explains uh, some of his behavior. And the other gentleman, Paul St. Pierre, uh, he had diminished capacity, but I think his problems were more genetic than they were the result of injury. And, uh, It's just a strange combination, and then you have like the healthy kid, Christopher St. Pierre, who's the one who goes to the cops and says, hey, we got a real problem over here. He's the one that gets the most prison time.
1: Yeah, that was weird.
0: Yeah, and the prosecutor said, whoever the first one is through the door gets the deal, which is illegal. But the prosecutor said that, and the first one through the door was Andrew, your uncle. Andrew Webb. He got the deal, but it was a this is, I mean, this is spoiler alert here. He cuts a deal with the prosecutors and in exchange for this deal, he will get uh, he will not get the death penalty. He will get life but he will get possibility of parole. and he will testify against uh, the other guys who he says were you know participants of this murder. They're fine so they do the deal. And then when Andrew gets up on the stand, he says, oh, I did it all by myself. I'm the only one responsible. I'm the one who killed him. The other guys had nothing to do with it. He said, I just told you I'd tell the truth. But you promised to testify against these other two guys. Well, well, I got a deal, didn't I? Now I'm telling you the truth. I'm the only one who killed him, which is true. He was the only one who killed him. So I'm not testifying against those other guys after all. What are you going to do, put me in jail? I always like to, his sister had a great comment when he was up for parole. Say again? Huh? Oh, I couldn't hear you. Say so oh, again? Uh, when he was up for parole from Washington State Penitentiary, and they had the hearing, and the four of the prosecutors was advocating for him being released from prison on parole because he brought so many people to Jesus, and I didn't even know Jesus was incarcerated. So, but his sister... Shows up at the hearing. She says, if he is doing such a good job in prison, not only, uh, you know, being well-behaved and being an example to the other prisoners, but his religious activities of bringing souls to whatever, says, I suggest you let him stay here. (laughs) They agreed. Well, you know, the answer is, when they finally did give him parole several years later because of his wonderful work of bringing people to Jesus and all that, for Christ's sake, he gets out and immediately drops the whole Christianity thing and does the whole thing with the Odin and Norse legends and all that. Interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, he seems to be doing good with it though, so I don't I don't wanna like degrade that part at all though. He's happy where he's at.
0: Well, good. I'm glad he's happy and I hope he doesn't kill anybody else. I don't yeah. think he will. This is a stupid thing. They're very stupid people in the world who do acts of Irrational behavior for no sane purpose. Because usually you don't have a same purpose for irrational behavior anyway.
1: So That is why it's called irrational.
0: Yeah. So we did a uh, uh, Headshot, and I decided to make you yourself and as a character in a work of fiction where I play me and you play you in my book, Headlock, which is a private eye novel set in Walla Walla, Washington, where I'm the private eye who's actually a true crime writer who uses his private eye license as a gimmick to get looking for another plot, (laughs) another something. And you are the wonderful, uh, what are you in that book?
1: Uh, A pizza-eating hacker.
0: Yeah. You eat like a moose in that book. Uh, Say again? You eat like a moose. That was the line, yeah. Eat like a moose. Eat like a moose. Well, it was true. I mean, yeah, you, you get a 16-inch pizza, and you get a new Travis Webb. Better grab out of the cardboard, because that's the only thing that's going to be left. <laughs> As he it. And at the Pastime Cafe, he's flirting with all the waitresses. Oh, uh, so
1: 50. Yeah.
0: Uh, so Travis is Travis. He's, uh, he appears in a work of fiction, which I think is fun to do when you have real people playing themselves in a work of fiction. And then people don't know what's real and what isn't real. Which brings us to the topic, once again, of YouTube documentaries, of uh, the Bob Dylan documentary done by Barton Scorsese of the Rolling Thunder Review. Where part of the great treat of this documentary is that about 30% of its total BS. They have actors playing people who don't exist, giving commentary. (laughs) There's an actor playing the part of the uh, tour promoter who didn't exist. (laughs) <laughs> you have Sharon Stone talking about taking Bob Dylan to a Kiss concert and you get the idea to use white paint on their faces. And of no, no, that's true either. So you get to watch this thing and then wonder, how much are you being lied to <laughs> through the whole documentary? Very enjoyable, however. Maybe we why, should...
2: why would they take that kind of poetic license?
0: Well, why not? Bob, In the documentary, Bob Dylan, type of them wearing masks, you know, on the Rolling Thunder Review, and he goes, now, if someone's wearing a mask, you can count on them to tell you the truth. If they're not wearing a mask, you got no guarantee. He's not wearing a mask when he does this. <laughs> and then the BS starts. Oh, wow, am I having deja vu? What? Wait, Burl. What? You should never, ever doubt what no one is sure about. Wow. We have all been here before. Uh, <laughs> I uh, Really, I just had a real strong deja vu. Yeah. Yeah, I got to remember when... It, so usually if I have deja vu, as much as my daughter does, is usually I can remember when I dreamt it. I say, oh, I dreamt this about eight years ago. I try to remember what bed I was in when I dreamt it. it?
2: Pull
1: you know, well, out your dream diary?
0: Yeah. Uh, you, know, you know some of the great Aenea bearer stories of, of precognitive dreams... And it's dangerous to mess with them. You always wonder, what if I acknowledge what's happening right now and do something about it? She had a dream eight years previous to the event where she goes into, like, a uh, a, a, you know, a place that serves food and booze and, you know, cocktail lounge sort of, uh, what do you call those things? <laughs> and there's a jukebox playing, and she's sitting with these people. She doesn't know who the hell they are. And they're talking about some sort of instruments. She doesn't know what any of that means. And, uh, but she does know what the songs are in the jukebox that are playing. One song finishes, and then another one starts. Well, she has that dream. The dream makes no sense to her. Eight years later, she's in Tucson, Arizona, being offered a job, I think, at Vico Instruments. She says, the other members of your team, we're going to meet them and all go out to dinner at uh, this place. And that's where the dream picks up is when they walk into the restaurant and they all go sit together at the table. These people she doesn't know. Uh And the song on the jukebox starts playing. It's the same one, of course, in the dream from eight years earlier. And then there's the pause while the records, you know, change the jukebox. And Aenea couldn't resist. She says, and now, ladies and gentlemen, the jukebox will play whatever the title was. Right on cue, there's the song. Guy and guy turns around and says, how the hell did you do that? <laughs> I don't want to explain it to you. But it's never stuff that's important. It's just weird stuff like that.
2: Well, being around you, all weird stuff
0: happens. Hey, I'm the only one who have this, tra- Travis. I have dreams where my dream will stop, like someone puts it on pause. And others will come in and they will deconstruct the dream, peeling away layers, visual layers like you do with animated cells and cartoons, uh, you've got the background and the foreground, the animated character. And the lesson of that particular one was that no matter where you're dreaming about, you could be dreaming about Los Angeles or dreaming about Paris, France, but if you stopped it, put it on pause, and peeled away the elements, it would still always be the neighborhood of your childhood.
2: That happened in your dream?
0: Yeah, my dreams get deconstructed and explained to me.
2: That's interesting because I never dream about the street I grew up on.
0: No, no, you don't dream about that street. Let's say you're dreaming about uh, coming here to the Lighting Up Lounge and we're all running around out here and there's cops chasing us or whatever. And you put it on pause, your dream, and someone says, okay, let's peel the lounge out of here, let's peel, you know, and you'll discover that the structure of of the geographical area is actually the same as exactly when you grew up. Were you, when well, you, were a kid. you know, it, I, I, at least it, in my dreams, that would I just, got deconstructed.
2: I, uh, I'm always dreaming about uh, better than what what is currently set up. You know, I'm rich, famous. You're
0: rich and famous. That you um, think that's better?
2: I, um, I'll I'll give it a shot, Pearl.
0: <laughs> you could have all sorts of problems being rich and famous. Isn't that right, Matt? Matt Allen has been rich and famous. Held to the yes. Yeah. And it's a great fantasy for many people. They say, oh, my God, if I, if I had a fancy guitar, I'd write great songs. I'd go hey, far. You'd be a jukebox hero. Maybe. Name that tune. <laughs> Teenage Lament by Peter and Gordon. Uh, yeah.
2: It felt good in my hands.
0: This one it you. felt good in your what? My hands. This it six, happens.
2: <laughs> I, did. I bought a
0: six-string. An old... uh, so then what happened to poor old Travis? He winds up being in my true crime books. And I was able to create a great fictional uh, setup for, what is the book? I think it's uh, it's either Mom Said Kill Broken Doll, where these three guys are sitting in a Denny's. One is Travis Webb. The other, I think, is Fred Wolfson. And the third is a guy who works at KRKO in Everett. And I have the... Huh? Duran Duran? Moose Moran. (laughs) Oh, Moose Moran. There was more than one Moose, you know, Matt. Yeah, Moose number one had some problems. <laughs> but anyway, you have these three guys sitting in Denny's talking about the crime. Moose
2: number one was there because he was Is a drug dealer.
0: Is that why? Yeah. No one told me? I missed out on everything. At KYX. KYX, That's yeah. That's he was hired. He supplied Pat O'Day with a cocaine. Oh, I wish they would have told me so it wouldn't be a total loss. <laughs> he went crazy one morning, Matthew, and decided to tear apart the production room. That sounds, like well, sounds like Moose Moran the first. Well, we didn't have him anymore, and God, we just made such a big deal out of hiring him.
2: Well, you, okay, so so
0: three, we just got another guy and gave the same name.
2: So there's three of you. There's three fellows that have, you
0: know. Three fellows sitting in Denny's restaurant talking about this case, giving commentary. That was the structure of the book: is these guys giving commentary, and one of them being Travis Webb. And at the end, I think it's Travis, or no, I suppose Jeff Reynolds, the true crime writer, is one of the guys at the table. And uh, that's me. <laughs> Gets in his Volvo 1800 Sport Coupe drives away. Uh, so it's fun doing those things that are semi-factual I in think. a true crime book. You know, so I always I say, Travis, I'm going to quote you a lot in my new book, because there's something I once said, and if it was for Kensington Publishing, the authors can't really say stuff except at the end of the author's commentary. Uh, publisher, I'm with now, it gives me more, f- more freedom. I can be sarcastic and talk to the break the you fourth wall. You can break wall. the fourth wall. Yeah. I uh, did that in my first true crime book, Man Overboard, Counterfeit Resurrection of Phil Champagne. And I do it again. Back to one of the books I just wrote. The says, If I break the fourth wall again, my editor's going to send me a repair bill. <laughs> <laughs> Characters do that, you know, uh, they break the fourth wall.
2: I, thur- I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh...
0: Uh, Bur- uh, joy, uh, besides uh, those 18 year old twins, uh, Burns and Allen. Um. Oh, George Burns and Gracie We well, used to watch the show on the TV. Yes,
2: and <laughs> yeah, he, he would break the wall all yeah. the time, talk to the audience.
0: Yeah, he'd go upstairs into his uh, study, and the TV's on, he can watch his own show, yeah, and critique it. Yeah, <laughs> talk about his... you know, and I'm
2: married to this woman.
0: Yeah, <laughs> did you know that Gracie Allen always wore gloves, long gloves? Did you ever notice
2: that? Uh, no, I did not.
0: Well, you'll notice it now. The reason for that, she was in a fire, terrible fire. Oh, and her hands were... Her hands and her forearms were terribly burned, scarred tissue. So she always wore these long gloves, even when doing the dishes. Uh, There's a great, talented uh, radio performer, uh, Lynette Daniels. Uh, she's in Spokane. When she was about two or three years old, or no, younger than that, she was crawling on the floor of, of those giant things of hot coffee, those big metal things, you know, with this spigot on it. She gets the cord and pulls it. The entire thing tips over, scalding hot coffee, pours all over this little kid, totally scars up the entire body except the face, just missed the face. And the great thing about it is that she'd had that all of her life. She was never so conscious about the the scars. You know, wear bikinis in the summer and all that stuff. Very talented woman.
2: Travis, what what do you have coming next? Well, uh...
1: oh, sorry about that. So I have a, uh, I have two new books coming out probably this year. Oh, cool. Actually, maybe three, to be honest. Oh, depends on one of the publishers. What are so, they? So uh, I just finished a World War One horror comic uh, oh. for uh, an anthology, which is a anthology of horror stories uh, in a graphic novel that's coming out from YTCL Publishing. Yeah. Uh, probably this month. What's the name? Uh, I'm E-Y, oh, sorry, E-N-Y-E-S. Let me double-check that, too, because I can never... It's funny, you work on these projects, and ask me what my character's name in that book is. What's the character's name? I don't remember.
0: <laughs> I so. Uh, okay,
1: quickly, what are the other two? Uh, well, the other one I have is my, my, the project that I'm working on right now. Uh, it's called Starlight, and uh, it's a comic book where uh, I'm working on with Brett Waddell. He did the movie Surrogate worked on 28 Days Later, Southland Tales. Him, me, and Greg Smith, who has a book with Oni Press, now Lion Sports, I think. I think that's public knowledge, but um, uh, called Junior brains of the Apocalypse. Oh, and we got like is- that title already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just uh, a bunch of, uh, <laughs> yeah, title. Uh, it's uh, about, uh, you know, the, the apocalypse happens why this camping troop is out camping on their, you know, their annual camping trip, and they come back, and
0: everyone's dead or zombies. That's so. a rough thing to have happen. Yeah, Thinking of dead or zombies, bad. our show is now over. Thanks for, thanks for talking. <laughs> but to thank me. you so much for being here, and thanks for uh, paying tribute to how Howard Lapidus gave you a career. Hey, you Yeah. Next? Uh, next is Magic Matt Allen. Travis is picking me up at the airport tonight. I'll see you then. Magic Matt Allen the the defensive deck is live with the Lighting Up Lounge on OutlawRadioLive.com. It's too long.